Genesis 1. Now, we're, we're doing a school of the Holy Spirit. Last night, we kind of did a preachy-teachy kind of thing. And then uh, today's going to be a little bit more uh, uh, teaching. And then tomorrow, we're going to preach. We're going to have a blast tomorrow. Amen? Uh, both, uh, 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 all three services. Uh, morning with the Church of the Cross, then with Victory. After that, I'm, I'm preaching. And then we're going to all come together tomorrow night. Amen? And we'll have fun in the process and uh, uh we're just gonna have a lot of fun anyway uh genesis starting with verse one we're gonna uh, i gotta lay a foundation for you in regards to the baptism of the holy spirit we're gonna cover a lot of different uh aspects of that and the spirit of god in our lives and his role and we're gonna cover a few other things in terms of supernatural gifts of the holy spirit some of the things that are kind of objections and at various points since this is a school of the holy spirit um uh i'm gonna be asking you questions too so can you just forget you're in church so people get this weird mode. You know, I, I've noticed this from the last time I was here. You know, fellowshipping and all the rest, you guys are great. But the minute you hit the sanctuary, you change. Can we just be the same people in and out? That is the goal. You know that, right? We're supposed to be the same no matter where we are. I'm like this all day long. Amen? And let me tell you something. I had a blast at the hotel I was at last night. I didn't get much sleep because there was a lot going on at the hotel. I mean, between security, the police, and the party bus that wasn't supposed to be there, and uh, they had invented, and the, the people they had to take out in cuffs. I had a busy time doing ministry yesterday. After it was over here, it was just getting started for me. Come on, somebody shout amen. You know what? It's funny. I made myself the official chaplain of that thing, and they didn't know they had that. <laughs> it was great. Amen. So I had a really good time. Genesis uh, 1. Because uh, uh, we might as well start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. I'm not going to break into that song. But anyway, uh, Genesis 1, starting with verse 27. God created man in his own image. Now, it, I realize that the speed at which I talk, it is hard to take notes, but it's good to underline in your Bible. Amen? How many of you underline in your Bible? Good. You need to take clear notes. Take clear notes in your Bible. The reason I say this as a preface is because when the rapture of the church happens, which I think is going to happen soon, you know, your, your Bible's not coming with you, right? So when the rapture happens and all your friends see you're gone, they're going to freak out, aren't they? And they're going to go find your Bible. And they're going to open it up and realize everything you were telling them was true. And they're going to go searching for stuff. Now, when people search, you know, when you pick up a book that somebody left down on a table, you pick it up and you like leaf through it. You know, you're going to pause at the pages that have underlines and notes in it, right? So take clear notes in your Bible and underline in your Bible. In fact, why don't you leave a note in your Bible that says, in case I suddenly disappear, read this, read this, pray this, and it's going to be just fine. Amen? Why not do that? Amen? So Genesis, <laughs> Genesis 1, starting verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and, uh, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Everybody shout amen. amen. Now, we're starting here to lay a foundation. Uh, you will see, uh, and, and the reason we're going to cover this uh, 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 pan the Bible, I mean the Old and New Testament. And in our discipleship, we teach people the word of God. Our discipleship is teaching them from Genesis to Revelation. I've written an overview of every book in the Bible. If you, just out of pure, uh, if you want to do this, you can go to uh, my website, which is Global Outreach Foundation, globaloutreachfoundation.org. And if you go there, you can click on the resources tab. And what you'll see is a whole bunch of resources. I've written an overview of every book in the Bible, a Bible study. So you have the teacher's edition and the student edition. The student edition has fill in the blank. 
the teacher's edition has highlighted portions that correspond to what's filled in the blank. You could, you could look at all that stuff and download it for free. Amen. You can do all that stuff and download it for free because the best things in life are. That's right. Uh, whenever I go to a restaurant and eat, I always tell the people, here's your check. Well, it must not have been very good food because the best things in life are free. But anyway, so, so uh, uh, you know, handed, uh, uh, you can just download these things. My board is really cool because people help us build churches and do all these other things around the world because people are doing that and sacrificing, giving by faith. We feel like we ought to return that for free to people. Amen? And be a blessing to the body of Christ. So you can look at all the stuff there, resources, whatever you want to use. There's a new believer Sunday school class. There's, I mean, all that stuff. You can just download it for free and use it. If you want to do Bible studies out of your house, just use the stuff. Pilfer it. I don't care. I mean, so the, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you can go through all those things. Well, uh, um, we do that because we want to show people through the Bible that you could see the themes of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, I don't know where your background is. Some of you may have been raised, you know, in a background that said God works dispensationally, meaning that that what he did in the Old Testament is different than what he did in the New Testament is different than what he does now. He moves in different dispensations. So there's no longer miracles today. I mean, I had a good, if you were raised Baptist, that's what you were taught. I had a good Baptist friend who I now would call Bapticostal, who looked at me and said, you know, we were having coffee. We always have these great Bible discussions, which were awesome. And, you know, he used to tell me, Dean, uh, uh, Dean uh, God doesn't do any miracles anymore. And I'm like, really? You know, I mean, he'd say that to me. I said, so it's ended. Yes. Doesn't need miracles. No, just the Bible. That's it. Yes. And I looked at him, I said, well, then doesn't the book of Revelation freak you out? He said, why? I said, because that discusses what's going to happen in the end times, right? He goes, yeah. So, well, if God doesn't need miracles anymore, shouldn't the book of Revelation read differently to you? Shouldn't it be just like uh, God sending two people to stand up and preach and give some Bible points and messages? Why does he have to dust off miracles again at the end to prove his point? He looked at me, he goes, I hate you. You know that, right? <laughs> And I said, no, let me ask you one other question. We're drinking Starbucks because that's what Jesus would do. So, so we're, we're, we're at Starbucks, and so we're talking, right? And I got my Starbucks. He's got his. I said, so, I said, God doesn't do any more miracles. No. But the devil could do whatever he wants. Yes. And the devil could do miracles to deceive people. Yes. But Jesus does nothing anymore. No. I have my coffee to my mouth. He has his coffee in his mouth. And we're looking at each other after he said that. I waited for 10 seconds, and I said, do you have a problem with what you just said out loud? He said, yes. Because <laughs> if you think about it, it's stupid, right? So shortly thereafter, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> out of self-defense. But anyway, so, so the thing is, is that you need to understand this flows in the Bible. Well, Genesis lays the foundation. God said to Adam and Eve when they were created, which is your mission, okay? Because it's the same mission for all of humanity. He says, I'm giving you the planet, rule over it. Our job, we were not created by God to walk around with our shoulders hunched over and looking down and afraid of everything and afraid of all circumstances and everything. What's going to happen to me? Subject to circumstances. No, we are created by God to be the subjector of circumstances. We are created not to walk all fearful, but rather to walk with power and authority, with our heads up, our chins up, and our shoulders back, our chest out, and acting like we own the place because we do. When my kids were young, and they used to complain and say, I want this and I want that, I would look at them and say, God gave you the planet, what more do you want? Because God gave us the earth. Now, everybody listen to what I'm going to say. What God said to Adam and Eve, and hence to all of us, was this. As I am God to you, Adam and Eve, and you submit to me, 
then the world and everything I put in it will submit to you. As I am God to you, you will also be God to the earth in that sense. Okay? In other words, we're not God. We're not. But what he's saying is, as I rule over you, you're then going to rule over everything as you submit to me. In other words, you have authority over everything. Jesus wasn't joking when all of a sudden he showed up and said, if you command that tree to be cast in the sea, it's going to happen. Because Adam and Eve had that authority. Now, this is a bit of a tangent, but, you know, a lot of times you think Adam and Eve were just like you and me. That is so not true, it's not even funny. Adam and Eve were like you and me after they sinned. But before they sinned, you just can't imagine what happened after they sinned, how horrible it was. Before they sinned, we were not anything like them because they had amazing, I mean, when you look at the Garden of Eden and its parameters, it was a huge area that incorporated about two countries. All right, it was a huge garden when you consider the rivers and where they may have been and all the rest of this stuff. It was mammoth. And God said, I want you to dress it. I want you to manage it. I want you to do all the rest. I mean, if you think about it, you know, think about what happened after the fall. He said, you're gonna, it's going to be through the sweat of your brow that you're going to work on things. In other words, Adam and Eve never knew what it meant to be tired. Their bodies never got tired. I honestly believe they were able to teleport themselves, just kind of like what you see in the book of Acts with, with uh, uh, Philip the Evangelist. I believe they could do that because they had to cover vast territory, vast ground. Think about their minds for a second. I mean, God brought them every animal. They gave the scientific name to everything that we now have and were able to remember it. I mean, do you understand? You know, today, scientists will tell you we only use 10% of our brains. A lot of the people I meet, less than that. The people at the hotel last night, less than that. (laughs) You know, I mean, the bottom line is, I'm just saying, you know, I mean, people use very little of their brains today. I mean, we wonder what would be possible if we used all of it. Adam Adam and Eve had full access to it all. I mean, so amazing how amazing they were. God said, okay, now, I've created you. Now, when he created them, he put everything inside of them. I've created you. Now, you rule over everything. It's all yours. You rule over it. Does that make sense? But something bad happened. When they sinned, they lost that privileged position, okay? Uh, And and I'm going to kind of illustrate something to you in just a second. But anyway, Genesis 3, okay? Turn to Genesis 3. So they were created, I mean, not to be subjected to circumstances, but to be subjectors of circumstances with power and authority and given all the earth. And then something happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, starting with verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, we'll pause there, verses 6 through 9. I want you to consider this. When I first read the Bible, I was not a Christian. They handed me a Bible and said, this is the word of God, read it. Okay? Now, I'm going to say this. If you're going to give somebody a Bible and tell them to read it, that it's the word of God, tell them where to start reading. All right? I mean, the Bible they gave me was this thick. It was like one of those big family Bibles in the way it looked. Okay? It had 200 pages before you even got to the Bible text. It had 200 pages that had to do with archaeological notes and principles of translation. That is the most depressing, boring stuff you have ever read in your life. I mean, I read, I mean, I honestly, it was so boring. I'm like, good God, this must be why Christians always look constipated. I mean, it was horrible. 
I mean, it was absolutely horrible. I mean, I was reading this stuff thinking, this is like, ugh, you know, or whatever. And then I got to Genesis and I thought, well, I thought that was a rock band, but okay. And so, I mean, so I'm reading Genesis. I'm like, okay, you know, this is kind of interesting. I read the book of Leviticus as an unsaved guy. All right. I remember reading Leviticus thinking, what has God got against sheep? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm just like thinking this is weird. But when I read Genesis 1, 2, and I got to Genesis 3 and what I just read to you, I closed up the Bible these guys at the college dorm gave me, marched up to the guy's room who had given me the Bible, it, uh, barged in, you don't knock in college dorms, interrupted a prayer meeting that was going on. I mean, I didn't know they were praying. I just threw the Bible on the bed, looked at the guys sitting on the floor who were praying and said, hey, Bible's full of contradictions. It's, it's all bogus. You believe whatever you want. It's, it's fake. It's phony. It's got contradictions in it. Leave me alone. You do your thing. I'm going to do mine. And I was going to walk out of the room when the guy grabbed me, turned me around and said, Dean, what is wrong with you? And trust me, I still get that to this day. What is wrong with you? And I looked at him, I said, hey, I said, the Bible's full of contradictions. I mean, I'm not gonna believe this stuff. It's just all a bunch of fake stuff. And he says, what are you talking about? And so I looked at him and I, I, I told him what my problems were based on what I just read to you. I said, number one, I said, how come, how can two people be running around completely naked and not know they were naked? Did they never peek? I mean, God forbid. We know they had kids, so they must have been looking, amen? Right? How do you not know you're naked? I mean, if Pastor, if Pastor Brian was up in front of us all naked right now, we would know it! Amen? I just realized I'm really painting a bad mental picture there. I am so sorry. But anyway, what's funny is your wife is laughing, and that's your wife. Okay, so I'm just saying. So I'm just saying, all right. So the, I'm like, pick it up. He's never having me back. I'm just saying this. But anyway, so, but the thing is, you got what I'm saying here, Right? I mean, if people are naked, they know. What, did they never look down? I mean, at a distance, you could tell, right? I mean, did they never look? And number two, okay, number two. Number two was this, my ejection. Number two is this. How come, they were telling me about God, that God, this big God who loved me, that God was omnipotent. Everyone say omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And that God was omniscient. Everyone say omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. And that God was omnipresent. Everyone say omnipresent. That means he's always everywhere at all times. He's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Those are the three omnis about God. There's also the Dodge Omni, but that was a bad car. But anyway, so, so you got those three kinds, right? So he's the, if that's true, I said, how come God comes walking into the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? How come he can't find the only two people he's made? He's made two people and he can't, so he starts Marco. They don't shout Polo and he can't find them? I mean, come on. I mean, why does he say, where are you? How come he can't find two people? He made two. How come he can't find them, right? Right? And I'm supposed to serve a God like this? So I said that to him, and the guy looked at me. He goes, Dean, Dean, Dean. Trust me, I get that a lot to this day. Dean, Dean, Dean. And he looked at me. He goes, Dean, look, sit down. He sat me down. 31, almost 32 years ago, he explained something to me, which is Bible 101, which people never discuss today. They never discussed, what they explained to me, and they were discipling into people 31 years ago, I am now going to tell you, amen? amen, if you encourage me, yeah. if you just seriously encourage me, okay, if you insist, all right, but okay, <laughs> here's, here's what he said to me, he goes, first off, Dean, he goes, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect, the way we were designed and are designed to be, and when he designed them that way, they came with everything already installed inside of them, including the Holy Spirit. Then he took me to the Gospels and the story where Jesus went up to a mount, which theologians call the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And Jesus went up there and he began to pray. Peter, James, and John were with him. And the Bible says he began to glow. Everyone say glow. glow. That glow was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And he began to glow. They saw a glow. So Peter, James, and John freaked out. Or if you're into the King James, they freaketh outeth. Amen. Okay, so freaketh out a thing. They freaketh out. <laughs> they did that. And so they freaked out. And, and, and they, Peter wanted to build three phone booths or whatever. He wanted to build, but whatever. And they freaked out, okay? Well, if I started glowing right now, you would freak out. To be honest with you, I would freak out too, and I would probably beat you out that door. But anyway, so... But the bottom line is, it's freaky. What happened was, now pay attention, their spiritual eyes were opened to see into the spiritual realm. Did you hear what I just said? Previous to Adam and Eve sinning, they were, they were unlike us because they were both physical and spiritual at the same time equally. But when they sinned, they became carnal like you and I now are. See, you know what's hard? You think the physical world is more real than the spirit world. But the fact is, that's not what your Bible tells you. The Bible says what you see was made out of what is not seen. It's not, we think what is unseen was created in our imaginations out of what we see. But that's not the way it is. The way it is, is everything that is seen was created out of what is not seen. So the Adam and Eve, when they were created, they could see into the unseen as well as the seen because they were spiritual because everything was the way it should be. But when they sinned, they were separated from God. And what happened is they were created, when they looked at each other, they saw each other physically and spiritually. They always saw the glow because they came with the Holy Spirit installed inside of them. They saw regularly what Peter, James, and John saw for but a second in the life of Jesus. And so they saw that regularly. They looked at each other and they saw the glow. But when they sinned, they were separated from God. And the Spirit of God left them. And when the Spirit of God left them, they lost the glow. You know what I, I said, I think last night, I'll say it again. Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy what? Holy Spirit from me. In other words, when they sinned, the Spirit of God left them and so did the glow. So when they looked at each other, they, instead of seeing the glow they were used to, they didn't see that anymore because it was gone and they went, ah, we're naked. And they jumped into bushes, ran up trees, and they tied fig leaves together. I was going to say fig trees, and that would hurt. Um, uh, fig leaves together and covered themselves. Think about it. Why were they covering themselves? Because that's mankind's endeavor to do what only God the Holy Spirit can do in your life. In other words, God wants to cover you with his spirit, and they were covered. When they lost that, they came up with a carnal means to do the same thing. They felt vulnerable. They felt because they had lost their privileged position and authority. The reason you feel vulnerable is because we don't have that privileged position and authority because of our sin. But when a man or woman is born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, they regain that again. And we'll talk more about that in a second. This all makes sense. But listen, okay? They lost that. So they went, ah, we're naked. In fact, that explains to you why God said, where are you? The reason he said that is because look at Isaiah, what is it, 58, says this. God's eye is not blind, his ear is not deaf, nor is his arm too short to save you, but your sins have caused a separation between you and your God, so he does not see, cannot hear, and cannot deliver. Got it? So he was used to trucking into the garden and seeing his creation with his presence and power on them. Now it's gone. So he's saying, where are you? Not meaning physically, but meaning spiritually, because now they're separated from him. 
It's the voice that cries out to every human being all over the planet. God saying on the, on the wind, just barely audible and yet not audible. He's saying, where are you? I want you back. That's what ruins, quote unquote, people's fun in their sin. That's what bugs them. That's what gnaws at them. Where can you go from his spirit? Nowhere, the Bible says, because he could find you. That voice is crying out because he wants once again to clothe you with his power. Amen? Amen. So they lost that in the garden. And when they did, they went, ah, and they felt vulnerable, they felt naked, and they hid themselves from God. Okay? Now, everybody, this is very, very key. And I want you to talk to me, because this is class. This is the school of the Holy Spirit. I want you to talk to me. Adam and Eve served God perfectly for a period of time. Yes? Talk to me. Yes, right? They did. In other words, they served them and followed. Now, how long that was, only God knows. Okay? Some theologians say short, some theologians say long. Honestly, theologians are mostly people who don't get out much. But the bottom line is, is that it was an indeterminate period of time. So, serving him perfectly, they knew his character. Yes? They knew him, listen, they knew him in a way, one day you and I are going to know him, but have not yet known him. See, we know him spiritually, but they knew him spiritually and physically. Right? One day we're going to get a glorified body and have exactly what they had. Right? So they knew him much more perfectly than we now do. Yes? They knew he was loving, kind, merciful, and gracious. They knew his character. Yes? So why, after they sinned, did they run away from him? They had sinned, but we sinned and we run to God. Why didn't they? Because they knew him better. Why didn't they? We have shame, but we run to God. Why didn't they? We're disobedient. How many times people are disobedient? They come to church and they come to God and cry out. Why didn't they? They've forgotten who, you're, you're getting close. They did forget who he was, but what ultimately changed? Yes, their knowledge of him. You're, you're getting there, but why? Remember, they knew him perfectly. How can knowing somebody perfectly, all of a sudden you forget? Oh, you nailed it, my brother. What they lost was the Holy Spirit. Because they lost, that's exactly, what he said is exactly right. Because they lost the Spirit of God, they lost their ability to understand God. Now, everybody, you know, if you're taking notes, you could write down some scriptures, but why don't you write down 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Corinthians are my peeps, the Greeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter, read that whole chapter. You're, what you're going to read is this. When you read on in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to read the whole chapter, but 1 Corinthians 2, as you get down to what, verse 9 and 10, it says this. It says, your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, it has not even entered your heart what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things, verse 10, we know because of God's spirit. These things we understand through or by his spirit. In other words, the things and the good things of God that you know you know because God has revealed them to you. You know what, all the time, I'll tell you what, when somebody comes up to me and says, I'm a Christian, I've been born again, I'm saved, but I, I just don't know that God loves me. The minute they say that, I know they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Or if they are, they don't use their prayer language every day. I know that immediately. Why? Because, because the Bible says in Romans 8, it is by the Spirit of God we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, the Spirit is crying that out from inside of you. Which means, if you're not hearing that voice inside of you, you've quenched that voice. Because you're not allowing that to flow through you, so you must not be filled. Or if you are filled, you're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. 
See, we're all talking about, well, Jesus this and Jesus this, and that's right, because it's all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify Jesus. The more the Holy Spirit, the more glory goes to Jesus, the more you understand Jesus. See, listen, the Bible says this, again, in 1 Corinthians 2, in verses 14 and 15, it says this, or, or 12 and on to the end of the chapter, 12 through 14. It says this, the natural man, everyone say natural, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. But, but, not true of the person who's the spiritual one. But the spiritual one understands all things because they discern things spiritually. And they have ultimately the mind of Christ. Read that through the end of the chapter. Now, here's what's interesting. In the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, hallelujah! Sorry, that was just ethnic pride. Sorry. But anyway, so, so uh, uh, in the Greek language, it says this. When it's translated the natural man, some of your Bibles may say the person without the spirit, which is a horrible translation of what that Greek word is. The Greek word is this. Listen, I'm going to teach you a little Greek. It says this. The psychikos, English people might say the psychikos, but what that means is like psychological or psyche or soul. It's saying this, the soulish person does not understand the things of the spirit of God because they're a foolishness. Meaning, the man or woman who's trying to understand God through their soul, meaning the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your soul incorporates three things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. The person who is trying to understand God through their mind, their will, and their emotions will never understand God. And spiritual things are foolish to them. Isn't that the truth? Now, you know what? This has incredibly, supernaturally powerful and earthly ramifications, this understanding. This will rock your world, and you're going to understand a lot here in just a second. The soulish person can understand the things of the Spirit of God. They, spiritual things are foolish to them because they understand things through their senses, through their mind, their will, and their emotions. They understand everything by the, what they perceive, like a two-year-old, like a baby, which understands the world according to the way they feel. I feel bad. You know, that's the way humans are apart from being filled with the Spirit of God. So listen to me. Everybody listen. Okay. And when it says the spiritual person understands everything and has the mind of Christ, the Greek word that's used there if, is the way we say it in Greek is pneumatikos. English speakers say pneumatikos. And what it simply means is a person who is fashioned after the spirit. They get things. They understand things. Now think about this. God has said in his word, natural people, people trying to understand God through their mind, their will and through their emotions think spiritual things are bizarre. Okay, God said that. Now, I'm, I'm incorporating a whole bunch of things together here because of the sake of the hours we're going to spend together this morning. I want you to get this, okay? God says this. So if he says that, why is it you're trying to make sure that when people come to church, they understand what's going on and why are you trying to hide the Holy Spirit from them? God says, you can't even understand the good things he has from you, for you, unless it's revealed to you by his spirit. So we need more of the Holy Spirit to understand what God has for us, not more teaching about it. Why is it that there are believers, even in this room right now, listening to me, and people are going to listen to the tapes that are being made. Why is it that people are believers in Christ and have sat under series after preaching series after preaching series, have read Christian book after Christian book as to who they are in Christ, and they still don't get it? Because it's not a revelation, because they're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them. You cannot understand what these things are through your mind. So let me explain something to you, okay? What, if somebody walks in 
who's unsaved into a room where God is. Are they going to understand what's going on? Yes or no? Yes or no? If they're, yeah, but they're unsaved. So if they're unsaved, will they understand? Everybody answer yes or no? No. So why are you trying to explain it to them and dumb down a church service to explain to them what's going on? Well, they'll feel uncomfortable, so until they understand it, we can't present it to them. God says they're never going to understand it. Do you understand? That's why the prayer meeting is the most important meeting. Because what needs to happen is if the Spirit of God is filling this place and we're letting the Holy Spirit do what He wants, then God the Holy Spirit will reveal to them what it is that they need. It's spirit revelation that they need. Are you getting this? That's why the devil is fought. Now listen, I'm going to explain something and I don't know any other way of doing it but this. Okay, make a fist with your hand. Okay, make a fist. Got a fist, right? Now, hold up the other hand's finger, uh, forefinger, okay? All right. Now, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to prove to you that that one finger is bigger than your entire fist. Is that true, though? Is it true? Is the fist bigger than the finger? Is the finger bigger than the fist? You say the fist is bigger. I'll prove to you you're wrong. Can I do that? Okay? Close one of your eyes, whichever is uh, one of the eyes, okay? Put that fist up in front of that eye that is open. The other eye is closed, okay? Now take your finger and put it on your fist. Like this, see I'm doing it like this, right? So now you say, you're telling me your fist is bigger than your finger, right? Right? So just listen to what I'm saying. Keep that fist up and keep that finger in that position. Now draw that finger closer to your eye and keep drawing it until you cannot see your fist anymore. Have you done that? Okay, this is the distance for me. Got it? See that? How many of you no longer see your fist? I just proved to you your finger is bigger than your fist. Is it? Yes or no? It's not. But why did it seem like that? Yes. Perspective, isn't it? Perspective. In other words, in other words, it had to do with the correlation. Your finger gained the middle ground between your fist and your eye. This is going to rock. Are you ready to get your world rock? This finger gained the middle ground between your fist and your eye. And it's the law of proximity. Because this is closer than your fist was. You lost perspective of how big your fist was. Spiritually speaking, when we lose the Holy Spirit, what happens is what the devil did. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Okay, this is an overarching theme I want you to get. And you're going to understand more about the Holy Spirit and the authority. When Adam and Eve were created, when you and I were created, we were created to rule and to reign on behalf of Christ. What we had was the middle ground. In other words, there is the earth, there's God, and there we were in the middle. Adam and Eve were given this position to rule over the earth. The devil, before Adam and Eve were created, there was a big battle that went on which we're not privy to. We didn't see it. We just know about it, okay? The devil was a, an angel, an important and powerful angel, and probably the leader of worship in the heavens. The devil tried to dethrone God. Now, you guys may think, and it's so not true, because unfortunately, even foolish believers teach this. They think that the devil is almost as powerful as God is, and that is not even close to being true. While the devil is the enemy and the opposite of God, he is, he, in, he is in no way God's opposite equal. 
He is so inferior to God, it is not even funny. In fact, at the end of all time, it's only going to take one angel, a mere angel, if you could call an angel mere. I mean, a mere angel. It's going to take only one angel holding the devil with one hand in order to bind him for a thousand years. God doesn't even trifle with the devil. There is no direct conflict between God and the devil. Because it's not even, I mean, he, tried, he deceived the third of the angels, but he doesn't even get close to getting close to the throne of God. Are you seeing this? So what did the devil do? The devil came down to earth. And if he could not dethrone God, he would take man's privileged position. Did you hear what I just said? Your Bible refers to the devil as the prince of the power of the air. We are supposed to be the princes and the princesses co-ruling with Christ over the planet. One day that's going to happen again in all its entirety, and it can happen now. See, what you have to understand, this earth is illegally occupied by an invading force called the kingdom of the devil. Are you hearing me? Our job is to kick that kingdom out. We do that through our prayers and our intercession. See, People make too much of spiritual warfare. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to offend a lot of people, but you know what? You can go binding and rebuking the devil all you want, but if you submit more to God, you will be more effective in anything that happens in your life. You know, you get people in prayer meetings, they pray, they're all quiet and all the rest. And listen, by the way, I want to say this. I should never walk into a room where there's a prayer meeting going on and, and me, my one person praying like you should pray, should not be louder than everybody in the room. All I'm going to tell you is the term quiet time did not come from a Greek. I will just say that right now. <laughs> we call things quiet time because this is the way we pray. <gasps> oh, Lord, I didn't think of this. <laughs> yeah, that's a quiet time. You're like, I'm so refreshed after my quiet time. Yeah, you're refreshed because you slept through it. <laughs> Prayer is not designed to be quiet. It's not. You, you say, well, I reverently, holy... Holiness is not represented by quiet. Did you ever, somebody said to me, we're quiet because we just, we're reverencing God. You know, quiet also means boredom. Hello. And a lot of times that's exactly what it means. You know what? When you want to talk about whatever excites you, you get loud and boisterous. Then you come into God's house and then he gets what? You go like this. You're during your prayer time. Forget it. That is not prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication. Yes? At what time in a two-way communication are you quiet? When you are doing what? Listening. All of prayer is not listening. We're, we're crying out to God. You know, we, so, but take people. They're super quiet in prayer. And then you say, let's rebuke the devil. And they're like, ah, da, 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 da. they just go nuts. You know what, guys? You, you've got the wrong idea. Submitting to God gains you the middle ground. What we did last night by emptying ourselves in the presence of the Lord. You empty yourself so God can fill you. That's radical spiritual warfare. Submitting to God is radical spiritual. I'm not saying that you don't rebuke the devil and cast them out. You do that at times. But you know what the bottom line is? Most of spiritual warfare is not binding and, you know, doing all these gyrations that people get into. It is submitting to God. Are you hearing me? If you will do that. Now, listen. The devil got upset. He sees Adam and Eve occupying the middle ground. So the devil wants to get in the middle ground. So many people make the devil and their problems, they think their problems are so big God can't deal with it because you've lost perspective of God because like I did with the analogy of the finger, the devil has gotten the middle ground. You are closer to your problems and you're closer to your people than you are to God. So God has become small and your problems and people in your life have become too big. Are you hearing me? 
You know what, the problem exists, my friends, because of the law of proximity. What are you closest to? What's closest to you is what's biggest to you. If Jesus is closest to you, then that's what's biggest. My God is a radical supernatural God because he's closest to me than my problems or my issues are. Am I making any kind of sense? What happened? When Adam and Eve sinned, fear entered because the devil gained the middle ground. And now their problems and their shortcomings and their selfish, soulish ways got in the way. That became the problem. The people who were supposed to rule became the issue. And what happened was now God became small and instead of running to God, they ran away from him because they lost their ability to understand how God would think and what God would do. They couldn't perceive him. Like you said, brother, that was perfect. They could not understand God anymore. What does that tell you? Even if Jesus was standing right in front of you and explaining things to you, you would not understand God. You must understand him by revelation of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who kicks the devil out, squeezes out all that demonic stuff and puts God back in the right place in our eyes and puts us back in our rightful position in the earth where we again take the middle ground and between God then flowing through us into the earth rather than the devil ruling and reigning. Come on, does somebody shout amen? That's why we want to get men and women born again. And filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why it happens. Now, I want you to hear this, okay? Now you'll understand this whole thing, the dynamic of what happened with Adam and Eve and how great the fall of mankind was. It was far greater and was far more devastating than you could ever imagine. What it did to the earth and what it did to us in our privileged position that God gave us. But God wants to bring us back into that privileged position. Can somebody shout amen? amen. How does God do that? By getting us filled. That's why from Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 and on, in biblical and world history. God is up to two things. How many things? How many? Shout it. Two things. He's into two things. Two, not just one. I'm saying that because so many in this room have only been up to one and you're missing it. Two. God is up to two things, not one, two. Number one, he's going to get people saved. He's going to deal with the sin issue that separates us from him. He's going to come in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to die on a cross, get raised from the dead after having lived a sin-free life. And he is going to pay the debt that needs to be paid. And he pays that debt and it's taken care of and it is finished. Somebody shout amen. amen. We celebrated that on Easter last week, didn't we? So he's going to be, I mean, free, man. Free, baby. Free. We're free. Hallelujah. And everyone shout and. and. He's going to once again fill people with the Holy Spirit. Not one thing. We're all in the, are you saved? Oh, good, praise God. No. Are you saved and are you filled? Because Jesus came for two reasons, not one. Two. To get people saved and to fill them once again with the Holy Spirit. So they could become exactly what Adam and Eve were supposed to be in the first place and had been previous to their fall. He's going to deal with that issue. Deal with the sin issue and fill them again with the Holy Spirit. That's why in biblical and world history, from Genesis 3, 9 and on, God's up to two things. That's why when you read in the Old Testament, and this is why it's really good to study the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and get a whole overview. You'll see prophetic utterances that are dual in nature. You'll see God prophesying in the Old Testament, great prophecies. You know, he's, he's talking about a suffering servant who's going to come and, and remove our sins and take away our sicknesses. He, he talks about, you know, a sacrifice, you know, a, a lamb for, a, for a, a, an individual, a family, a tribe, and a nation. He's going to talk about all these prophetic utterances that without the shedding of blood, there's no sacrifice for sins. I mean, all these things you read about in the Old Testament about sacrifice and forgiveness and all that stuff, dealing with the sin issue. And 
He's also, you also see all these prophetic utterances and how the desert is going to have water in it. How God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and there's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles in the heavens above and the earth below. How God's going to cause his uh, maidservants as his men's servants, young men and old men to dream dreams and have visions and, and all these things. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. You see prophecies of water expanding in the wilderness, of oil and fire, which is all symbols of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, there are dual prophetic utterances, not just with sacrifice and forgiveness, but also about the Holy Spirit coming. Is this making sense to anybody? There are dual prophetic utterances dealing with all of these things. So God's dealing with both things from Genesis 3, 9 and on. In biblical and world history, God's dealing with both of them. Now, get, get this. Oh, write this down. <laughs> all right. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Those two verses explain this whole thing I just said to you in two verses. When God says this, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, for it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, this is the reason why. In other words, in order that means, this is why. He died to remove the curse from us. In order that we might receive the blessing of Abraham, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. You know how messed up we are? This is a little history for those of us who are old. <laughs> um, those of us who are older in this room remember this. The 80s were not really good for the body of Christ because we grew selfish. It was the charismatic king's kid days. The charismatic revival was going on. I mean, it was awesome. But what happened was they used to say things about, you need the blessing of Abraham. What is this? What's the blessing of Abraham? It's his riches and his wealth. I'm like, dear God, the Bible in Galatians tells you what the blessing of Abraham is. It's not riches. It is a rich. It's the greatest treasure of all. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. In other words, God takes care of the sin issue so he once again can fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's what Galatians 3, 13 and 14 is talking about. Got it? That sums up everything I've just talked about in two verses. How cool is that? Amen? Summed up in two verses. So does this bear out? Yes, it does. Okay? Turn in your Bible. Now we're going to see. Okay, you have all these prophetic utterances through the Old Testament. Let's get into the New and see how that bears out. So turn in, if you have your Bible, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse, uh, well, I'm going to start with verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 8. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. Everyone say repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Uh, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey, which, by the way, locusts are delicious. I've eaten them in Africa, and uh, they're actually really good. They actually kind of taste like um, sunflower seeds. They're really good. But anyway, um, um, uh, except they have legs and you have to kind of take their wings off. And, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the what? So see, in other words, John came uh, baptizing in water and th that water baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. Everyone say repentance. So he's dealing with the sin issue. He says, now you're going to be water baptized because you got to deal with sin. But he's coming to do one step more to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. God, in other words, Jesus is not going to just deal with your sins. He deals with your sins so that you can be filled with the Spirit of God. He's going to baptize you. Now, I just want you to know, the New Testament was written in Greek. Hallelujah. And, okay, 
And for those of you, there's a shout out to everybody who ever watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding. I mean, you just give me a word, any word, then I'll show you how that word comes from a Greek word. Okay, my dad believed that to the day he died. God bless him. But anyway, so, okay, every word comes from the Greek. Well, the Greek, baptize. So you got baptized, right? The Greek word for baptize is the Greek word vautizo. Vautizo, baptize, there you go. Whoop! Right? I feel like lighting cheese on fire. Hear this, all right? So, Bautizo, baptize, there you go. So baptize. So everybody goes around saying, well, baptize means to immerse. Oh, my little friend. Oh, it means so much more than that. Oh, it means so much more. The word baptize, do you want to know what it means? Yes. Do you, I mean, really? Yes. Okay, I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. This, this is what it means. The word baptize, the Greek word bautizo, means to immerse in so as to change the character of. Kind of loses something in translation, huh? To immerse in so as to change the character of. What am I talking about? You take a cucumber and you baptize it in pickling spices. And after a period of time, out comes a perky, tasty pickle. Amen? Yeah, I'm going there, everybody. We all need to get good and pickled. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on. But in the Holy Ghost, amen? People last night in my hotel were getting pickled with the wrong kind of spirit, <laughs> right? I mean, the fact is you need to get good and pickled in the Holy Spirit, amen? In other words, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed people that get drunk do things they would never do if they were sober? I mean, some of us in this room, you know you're nasty little rascals and rascalettes. You know you were there, uh-huh. Used to do that, right? I mean, you get bold. They do things, and you, you tell them afterwards when they sober up. Man, I can't believe you took out all those hell's angels. I did what? And then they're changing their underwear. Here's the thing, right? I mean, the bottom line is they do this like, oh, come on, I'll take you all on. A little 98-pound nothing is going to take on everybody when they're drunk. They're bold like lions. And they're sober. They're as meek as a little kitten. But when they're drunk, under that influence, right? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. John... I'm sorry, Peter, right? Peter, a little servant girl comes up to him and says, you are, you are a follower of Jesus when Jesus is being uh, uh, tried and he's going to go to the cross. You, you, you were a follower of Christ. And he says, no, I wasn't. He publicly denied Jesus three times to a little servant girl. In fact, the Bible tells you, if you read all the stories about what Peter did, he literally started swearing and cussing just to prove that he wasn't a Christian, a follower of Christ. He literally started cussing and swearing to prove the fact that he wasn't a follower, Right? Little chicken, right? Why would he do that? Because he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. But after the day of Pentecost, he stands up and says, you all killed him. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's time we got good and pickled in the Holy Ghost. Somebody, somebody shout amen. Man, I got pickled. I tell you what, I got good and pickled. I have been sober since, hallelujah. I mean, in the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody shout amen. You know what, guys? I mean, I don't care about things because, you know what? When you get filled, you don't stay, you know, like a, like a drunk person doesn't care. I don't care. Amen? Amen? But you know what, man? I'm sober in the whole process, but I'm drunk in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I mean, God, I got good and pickled, and I never want to get sane again. So what happens is God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you get good and pickled. This is God's. So Jesus came to do what? To baptize you and pickle you in the Holy Ghost. So you're a completely different person. You're different from what you are. You become something you need to be. Now, this bears fruit. So here's a little instruction about humanity, okay? There are two kinds of people in this room, two kinds of people in this world. You want to you know what kind they are? Yeah. 
There are two kinds. There are introverts and there are extroverts. Okay? Uh, when I say introvert, I do not mean, the minute you say introvert, I think it conjures up some bizarre thing about a, a person who's so shut down, they're stabbing people and burying them in the, in the crawl space underneath their house. That's not what an introvert is. An introverted person loves people, they love socializing, they love fellowshipping. But an introverted person needs a break after a certain amount of fellowshipping. They're like, okay, I have fellowship for a couple of hours. I just need to get away from you. I need to get away from this fellowship. I need to go home. I need to not have any sound on or maybe just a little worship music playing very, very peacefully in the background. I need to take my dog on a walk and I need to decompress because if I don't do that, I will kill you and I will eat you, <laughs> right? That's an introverted person, <laughs> right? An introverted person is like, I love you. I want to fellowship with you, but I need a break, okay? An extroverted person is the opposite. See, an introverted person, and by the way, almost all pastors, I mean, I'm not going to say 100% of them, but like the huge majority, they're introverts. That's what gives them their strength. That's what makes them, you, you think, well, I mean, how can an introverted person do pastoring? In fact, they're designed for it. That's what makes them so godly. There are times, the solitude of the prayer life and the preparing for sermons and all the rest of the stuff is a strength to them. Their strength is their prayer lives. Their strength is waiting on God. Their strength is being spiritual. That's why such great men and women of God are pastors and they're introverted people. I mean, they, they socialize and they fellowship some, but eventually they disappear. Why? Because, because exerting themselves in like a church service exhausts them and they need to have a break. And then they get charged up and then they get after it. Am I speaking your language? Come on, somebody. Right? That's what makes it. So you have to understand that that's, that's a strength for them. Okay, to, to wait on God, and that's why they have great prayer lives, and they could become incredible worship people, because that solitude of personal worship and seeking God, that's a strength that is a defragging time for them, a decompressing time for them, and that's for you if you're an introvert, right? Well, the extroverted person is completely different. The extroverted person gets their energy from being with people. The extroverted person gets energized. The more time they're with people, the more energy they've got, Right? I mean, I am a max extrovert. I have never met a stranger. I introduce myself to all sorts of people. I was joking last night, but I'm telling the truth. I'm actually napping right now. I don't get tired talking to people. I mean, I can keep going all day long. I guarantee you at the end of this weekend, you will be more tired than I will be. <laughs> I, and I mean, that's why everybody meets me and they start praying for my wife. And that's why she's more anointed because they meet me and they start praying for her. But the bottom line is, all right, on okay. An extrovert, the extroverted person is the person in this room who has been fellowshipping from 6 a.m. in the morning until midnight. And they've been fellowshipping and they finally decide, well, maybe I should probably get to bed. And so they go, like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. And they climb into bed next to their probably introverted spouse who's been in bed for the last three hours and sleeping. And they crawl into bed and they kiss their spouse and they're getting ready to kind of get comfortable and get the pillow all set up like this. And they're getting ready to fall asleep. And as they're doing that, all of a sudden the doorbell rings. And it's ringing and ringing and ringing. And they're like, and the, the introverted spouse kind of wakes up and like, oh, you go get it. And you're like, okay, fine. And so the extroverted person goes bounding down the stairs, opens up the front door, and standing there is a guy in a uniform. And the guy in the uniform is looking at him with this horrible look on his face, looks completely harried. And all of a sudden, the extroverted person looks over the guy's shoulder and sees in front of his house a school bus that is filled with 50 junior high kids who are coming back from a camp, a week of camp. And they have been for the last three hours on the road and they've been eating nothing but Skittles and downing them with nothing but Mountain Dew. And, and they're bouncing and you can hear it and the, 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 the bus is rocking back and forth. And, and 
And the, uh, and the extroverted person looks at the man who says, I'm a bus driver and I'm driving these kids back from camp and explains the situation and says, our bus broke down. They can't send another bus to take the kids away for another two hours. Can you please help us? The extroverted person looks at him and says, come on in everybody, the party is just getting started, come on. Well, the introverted person locks the bedroom door upstairs. Um, Okay, based on that, okay, based on that, okay. And by the way, what's the strength of the introverted person? Waiting on God, the prayer life and all the rest. What's their weakness? Soul winning. And, and once an introverted person has a certain number of friends that's comfortable within their ability to kind of decompress and go through the cycles they have to go through, they have to go through. Because if they didn't, they would like, ah, freak out. Um, uh, they, they don't introduce more people into their friendship circle. Once they get comfortable with a certain number, that's it. So they tend to be loyal to those friends, but they don't make new friends. It's not that they don't love people, but they don't exactly show a, a smiling face to a new person who's walking in. They don't mind if the pastor says, turn around and greet somebody, turning around to greet the person they already know. But to turn around and greet a person they don't know and introduce them into their new sphere of friends, that's a challenge for them. So their strength is waiting on God, the prayer life, worship. But their weakness is soul winning and including more people into their life. What's the extroverted person's strength. Introducing people, evangelism, that's right. I mean, it's inviting everybody in. I mean, I'm like, I've never met a stranger. I mean, that's, that's the extroverted person's strength. What's their weakness? Their prayer life. That's why so many extroverted people who are used as powerfully evangelists or big time if they're like, so what happens is they think then that their whole ministry life, they, that, that's the person who can't wait to get to revival meetings. They haven't had their own prayer time, but they go to church meetings all the time. And they think that the church meeting and fellowshipping and ministering at the altar, that that replaces their personal devotional time, and it doesn't. Am I making sense? You know, that's why we are so needing the Spirit of God to transform us and change us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit enables super extroverted people like me who probably need medicine and electroshock therapy that, that it, it, it causes us to have dynamic prayer lives. When I'm talking about prayer life, and that's the most important part of my life, if, when I'm talking to you about prayer life, you better listen because that's not the natural strength that I have. But I've developed a prayer life because when I first discipled, they hammered it into me. Is somebody getting this? Are you getting this? The baptism of the Holy Spirit changed me and enables me to wait on God and have a prayer life and have a dynamic prayer life. That's why I thank God for praying in tongues. But for the introverted person, that changes them. It pickles them and changes them. How does it change them? It changes them and enables them to get outside themselves and expand their ability to witness to others as well as begin to uh, 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 have new people added to their social circle. Am I making sense? Is this making sense? Say amen if this makes sense. Thanks. Uh, Mark 16, starting with verse uh, 15. And he said to him, after he had, uh, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in other tongues. They'll pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. Now, this is rat stuff. This is rat stuff. So this is what he's saying in Mark 16. These are the signs of believers. And this is all inclusive. Now, this is going to deal with an issue everybody needs to know. Because some people are like, well, I don't think everybody should speak in tongues. Yes, they should. 
I don't think everybody can lay hands on the sick and the sick will get healed. Yes, they do. This text, these signs will follow those that believe, are, this is all inclusive for every believer. Let me ask you this. How many people are supposed to go and make disciples? So how on earth could you follow this up and say, but the rest of this is not for everybody? It's the same application for everyone. Everyone who believes and is baptized is saved. Everyone who gets filled, everyone who's a believer is going to see these things in their life. They're going to speak in tongues. They're going to cast devils out of people, and I love that. They are also going to lay hands on sick people, and when they do, the sick people are actually going to be healed. They're not just going to do a religious thing and lay hands on people. They're going to lay hands on people, and the people are going to get healed. And, you know, the thing about the uh, snakes, it doesn't mean that the pastors of the respective churches that are here, uh, they did not hire, like, the Apopka snake farm, and they're not shipping in cobras and vipers, uh, which is why senior pastor's not here. <laughs> Victory. Um, he's just going to drop them off and leave. Uh, we're not going to, like, unload a bunch of snakes in this room, and whoever survives the day is spiritual. <laughs> That's not what that means, as fun as that may sound. That's not what that means, okay? Um, what it's actually, what it's talking about is in your Bible. Do you know in the book of Acts, Paul got shipwrecked off Malta, and the other day when I was flying uh, back from Africa, I actually flew over Malta and said a prayer over it, so it was kind of cool. But um, so Malta, he got shipwrecked off Malta, and, and then he was putting some wood in the fire, and as he was doing that, he lifted up his hand, and there was a little viper on his hand. And you know, a viper's bite, you, he should have been dead in short order, but he survived. The Bible says he shook it off into the fire. Now, the Bible doesn't say this part, but I tend to think they probably ate it because snake actually does taste like chicken. It's really good. But anyway, so, so he shook it off into the fire. And um, uh, so he did this, and, uh, 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 and he survived, and a great miracle broke out. And the whole thing about drinking deadly poison, what God is trying to say is this. If you are filled with the Spirit of God and born again, you are not afraid to die. Amen. Are you hearing me? Like people, if they want to come on missions trips, because I mean, a lot of people want to see all that God do these signs, wonders, and miracles, and want to see all this stuff and plant churches around the world. I mean, how many of you would like to be on a missions trip with me? Amen. Right? Now we go to areas where you're going to likely die. So when you get the application, you have to check a box that says, I am not afraid to die. That's on the application. Right? Now that does limit the size of the groups. <laughs> we had one lady call, this is some years back, and she said, she goes, because um, everybody knows I have a sense of humor. And they're like, uh, she goes, is this just uh, Pastor Dean's sense of humor? No. Well, what are the odds that we might die for on this mission strip? I said, well, honestly, if we do things the right way, rather high, I would hope. And, and you know what? She never did come on that trip, and we never did hear from her again. It was kind of sad. But anyway, um, but the fact is, we're not supposed to be afraid to die. Are you hearing me? You know what? I ask people to come on trips. They're like, where are we going? I tell them, what are we going to eat? Because, you know, I mean, I'm afraid I might eat something and it might, might kill me. So what do they do? They don't go on a mission trip. And they stay here. And they're eating things that are killing them. <laughs> I like balut. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, people are looking at me. If you don't know what that is, ask him. <laughs> right? I mean, I like it. I don't want to make people sick here. But I, I think it's good. All right? I mean, I don't mind eating all sorts of things. There are two things I won't eat. Two things that are just, one was a shish kebab in Thailand where we were doing ministry in Thailand and they had a shish kebab made out of those Madagascar cockroaches. I mean, literally, I didn't go there. And the other thing was the Maasai blood drink. The Maasai uh, puncture the, the, the vein of a cow and they fill it with, uh, they fill a container with blood and then they fill it with milk and they make a milkshake out of the blood and you drink that, except it's not sweet. 
Um, and I won't because of what the Bible says, okay, uh, uh, about the blood, drinking the blood. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, in regards, but the cockroach thing actually made me nauseous. And the only thing I really can't stand is peanut butter. Go figure. But outside of that, I'll eat, I mean, eat the brains, the eyeball, snake, you know, locust, whatever. But I can't stand peanut butter. I mean, what kind of a, I'm messed up, I know. But anyway, so, so it's like peanut butter, no. <laughs> brains, yes. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm just weird. But here's the thing, okay? The thing is, I mean, people, if you're a believer in Christ, you should be speaking in tongues, casting out devils, laying hands on sick people, and they're getting better, and you shouldn't be afraid to die. So my question is, are you with the program? Yeah. If you're not doing these things, you should be. Are you hearing me? This is what the Bible talks about. Let's keep going. Ooh, this is good stuff. Anybody learning anything yet? Turn to Luke 11. I'm not going to go through this because, uh, actually, I think uh, from what the Lord's been speaking to me, Victory, you're going to get this whole thing. I'm speaking to uh, uh, the two churches tomorrow. And so one message to, um, to the Church of the Cross, another to, uh, to uh, Victory. And so you're going to get a little bit more of Luke 11 here. But I want to point out Luke 11, um, down to verse uh, 11. The context is prayer. And at the end of it, he says this. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? What's the answer to that question? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why is this important? Okay, now this is important, especially when you're ministering this to people. So this is a good point about that. Now we're talking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what we've been discussing. And you need to get this on this text. This text makes no sense if all the Holy Spirit you get is what you get when you get saved. When you're born again, now everybody listen, when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit because you cannot be born again apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who puts Jesus inside of you. When you get born again, that's the work of the Spirit of God. And you could write this down, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who put Jesus inside of you. And Paul will then write you in the book of Ephesians that the Spirit of God is given as a pledge to you, as an inheritance. So you have the Spirit of God in you the minute you're born again. But the Spirit of God doesn't have you until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let me just give you an analogy that'll help you. And may you always remember this, okay? I want you to see this, okay? Um, what am I holding? Say it again. Water bottle, okay? Let's assume that this water bottle is empty. It's got water in it, but let's say it's empty. If it was empty and smudged up, it would represent you before you're, before you're saved, before you're born again. Smudged up, I sin. Sin shows up. The smudges show up on the... On the outside but it's because of the emptiness on the inside because you're empty because of sin then when you're born again jesus comes to live inside of you by the power of the holy spirit that would be represented by a bottle filled completely with water okay and there's a cleaning process that begins to happen starting from the inside to the out not outside in inside out amen got it so jesus comes to live and begins to clean you up on the outside that's you born again but what if i take this water bottle filled with water getting cleaned because of the inside being filled with God and the outside starting to get cleaned up because of the work on the inside. What if I take this and leave it on this little uh, table right here and I leave it here for the next two years? What's going to happen? The water's going to what? Evaporate. In the evaporation process, is the water going to still taste good or is it going to taste bad? 
bad. Is the bottle going to be clean or is it going to start getting dirty again? See, that's exactly what happens in people's lives when they get born again and they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens is the work of God, because see, the world out there hasn't changed. You've changed. And the world will change the more people that get changed. But what happens is you get out there and the world out there is beating on you with the hot summer heat of sin. So what happens? What happens is that a sun beats down on you and what God did in you begins to evaporate away. So what do you need? This is, God sees this and says, this is a problem. So this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen is he's going to put you under the water faucet of heaven and turn the water faucet on and leave the water running. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He keeps filling you. What if I take this water bottle, put it underneath the water faucet, turn the water on and keep it running? The water will over and the continually running water will keep the water tasting and it'll keep the outside and the inside of the, of the bottle clean. And if I keep it running for two years, what's going to happen in this church and in this community? There's going to be a... That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Got it? You need to get this. Okay, now everybody listen. Some people were taught, well, you know what? Not everybody's supposed to pray in tongues. Yes, you are. Be and, and some people say, well, I asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit and I never got filled. Would that be true? This says, if you ask your father who's not, who's not good compared to God, if you ask good parents for something, for something good, you're going to get it. He says, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. Since the context of this is prayer, since that's what's being taught previous to this, and Victor, you'll get a lot more about this on, on Sunday morning. But since the context here is prayer, listen to me. If the context is prayer, he know, you know he's talking about tongues. You know it. You know it. He's talking about tongues. He says, look, if you're going to ask for this, you're going to get it. Why is this important? When you minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I told you I was going to train you because I want you all to be trained as altar workers. You know, in the name of Jesus, when you pray for people, when I look at people and I pray for them, you're going to see this when I pray. And if you remember the last time I was here and we prayed, and we'll pray this morning too in case there's anybody who needs to get filled before we leave today. This morning, you're going to get filled. So, so we used you as a practicum so we could practice. We're going to practice on you. Okay, listen. So what happens is when I talk to people, I let them know you're going to get this because I know they are. Don't you ever look at somebody and say to them, no, I'm going to pray for you. And if you ask, I mean, don't feel bad if you don't get this. If you ever say that in my presence, I'm going to kill you and start a prison ministry in your name. <laughs> Amen? Because don't you, because you don't believe what God says, don't you hurt somebody else in their faith. Because God says, if you ask your parents for something good, they're going to get it. They're going to get it to you. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you're asking for the Holy Spirit, you're going to get this. You're roadkill for this. Amen? Why? Because you need it. You need help in prayer. This text teaches you some important things. Number one, it shows you that there's more to getting the Holy Spirit than just when you get saved. There's another time where you're going to ask for the Spirit of God. That's the filling, and you're going to get it. All right? So those are the two important things are this. Number one, that there's more than just being saved. You have more to get of the Holy Spirit. Number, or else, if there wasn't, this doesn't make any sense. Number two... If you ask for it, you're going to get it. End of discussion. You know, you say, well, why do some people not get it? Well, thanks for asking that question. It's got nothing to do with God not giving it. It's them not really asking. Because there's a lot of people who ask without really asking. If you're going to go to God and come to the altar and say, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, but I'm not going to open my mouth and pray in tongues. Sorry, got in front of that. But I'm not going to open my mouth and pray in tongues. Then don't expect to get it. 
You cannot give conditions to God on how to receive it. I was in an altar some years ago, and these three ladies, and it was obvious to me they were wealthy because of the way they treated everybody around them, the way they interrupted. I was huge altar call, big people, a lot of big, a, a, a large sum of people out the front. And I'm going down the line, laying hands on people. And these three ladies, I was going to go lay hands on this one person who's just weeping and crying in God's presence. And, and they interrupted and said, uh, okay, uh, listen, <laughs> like this. And the three of them said, look, we, we don't have a lot of time. We'd all, uh, we all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we don't want the tongues thing. I looked at them, I'm like, I'm not praying for you. How <laughs> would that lie? Well, they caught up with me and she said, that's your job. Oh? This is not my job for people who are telling God how to give them what they want. I said, you can't get it without tongues. Don't tell God what he can and cannot do. Have a good day. And I went down the line praying for people. They got really mad, complained to the pastor, then came to me and said they were complaining. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, they're not right with God. They got to get a better attitude. They should be at the altar repenting before they're ever going to get anything from God. Listen to me. Okay, I had one other guy. You'd love this. You would have loved this. Okay, I had another guy. He's a Dutch guy. He had to be 6'5". Okay, 6'5". I was standing on the stage, and he was as tall as me. And so he's standing like this. He comes up to me and says, Brother Dean, I'm in Michigan at the time uh, doing ministry. And he goes, Brother Dean, he goes, uh, I have been around. Now, he's dressed. I mean, starch shirt, tie. I mean, I'm dressed like I am now, you know, pretty cash. And he's, I mean, he's, I mean, he's been at the meetings. And he says, I've been at the meetings for the last three days, observing what's been happening, and I have decided it's of God. And I'm like, well, thank God, because frankly, I think half the stuff wasn't, so thank God. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just joking, right? So, so he, uh, he looks at me, and he goes, kind of smirks, because um, that was his laugh, I think, <laughs> you know? I mean, me, I laugh. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Him laughing would be like this. Hmm. I mean, that's like, okay, don't hurt yourself, bro. Okay, so anyway, so, I mean, so um, I'm like, okay. I said, and? He goes, I have decided I want to receive this. So I'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I would like to receive it in a dignified fashion. I'm like, how do you even do that? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, like, I'm like, okay. I put my hand on his head and prayed for him. The last I saw that guy before I walked out of the meeting, he was on the ground, rolling back and forth, <laughs> laughing hysterically, praying in tongues. You know what, I, you, know what you learned from that? Don't tell God how to do what he does because he has a sense of humor and he's going to make you an example, baby. Are you hearing me? <laughs> I mean, I think God was like, oh yeah, boom, baby. <laughs> I think God was like slapping an archangel a high five and the thing like vaporized. But anyway, I mean, it's just like, I mean, the bottom line, <laughs> it was actually funny. But anyway, uh, the, the bottom line is, the bottom line is, I mean, don't tell God how to do what he does. Amen? If you ask, you got to talk. If you don't talk, you're not asking. So when we tell people, get filled, you'll see me say, and I'll say to people, you got to speak. When I say speak, open your mouth and start praying in tongues. Because that's your step of faith. Remember, faith without what? Is what? Right. So your work, if you believe something, it leads to action. Right? You, it leads to action. If you believe something God says, it motivates you to move. If you believe he's going to fill you, then you open your mouth and speak. If you don't believe, then you don't do anything. Does that make sense? Okay, turn to Luke chapter 24. Anybody learning anything right now? Yeah. Been learning something. Okay, Luke 24, okay? School of the Holy Spirit. Got to learn this stuff. You know, you, they used to teach all this stuff. When you got saved years ago, they used to teach this stuff. I mean, this is stuff that you learn after you got saved. Today, nobody discusses it anymore because um, uh, Christianity in America has gone down a path. It's sad. Uh, Luke 24, 
starting with verse 44 through 49. And he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you. Now, this is Jesus revealing himself to these guys, his appearances when he's, you know, they've been on the road to Emmaus. He's appearing to them. He's been resurrected. He died and rose from the dead. These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see that? Do you remember what we were talking about? Adam and Eve lost their ability. Remember what you said, bro? This is it right here. He had to open their minds so they could understand what the word said. That's why I tell people. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues before you read the Bible. You'll get a lot more out of the Bible. Spend time praying in tongues before you read the Bible because the Bible was birthed out of the same spirit that you're now filled with. If you will pray in tongues and then go to the word, you'll retain it more and understand more. And then after you're done reading it, go back to praying in tongues and it'll become a living reality in you. It's great practice for your own spiritual growth. Okay? Look at me. This is a pet peeve. I hammer at this and I have since you first heard me, you know, uh, years ago. I hammer at this all the time. I tell people, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to pray in tongues at least an hour every day in tongues. At least an hour every day in tongues. I've been given that challenge and I will to the day I die until people start doing it. You know what? I've had people, I have so many emails and letters that people have written me through the years. One lady, I wish I had brought the email. Uh, this is from years ago. She, and I printed it out. She said in her email, she goes, I took you up on that challenge to prove that you were wrong. Because I said, start praying in tongues 30 minutes, an hour a day for 30 straight days and then keep it as a habit for the rest of your life. But at the end of 30 days, analyze your life and see if you don't have more power over sin, more power over temptation, more radical supernatural answers to prayer, more boldness in your walk with God. Pray an hour every day in tongues for 30 days and see if that's not true. And if it isn't true, never pray in tongues again. She says, I took your challenge to prove you wrong. She goes, in four days, she goes, I had more answers to prayer than I'd seen in the last 20 years of my Christian life. She goes, you were right, and it's become a habit in my life and will be to the day I die. My wife, Carol, got filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. She was grieved about her family, wanted to see them get saved. She was, the minute she got filled, she's the first person I ever laid hands on to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Been laying hands on her ever since. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Amen. But we're married, so get your mind out of the gutter. But anyway, so, 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 I mean, so, we, we, we. Uh, she first person I ever laid hands on to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Carol, okay, uh, Carol, within one month, her entire family was saved. She'd been praying for years. Within one month, they were all saved because she was now praying God's will from God's perspective. Did she understand everything she was praying in tongues? No, because you don't completely understand your mind. But your spirit gets it. Because it's there's spiritual understanding and carnal understanding. Our goal in life is to have more spiritual understanding. Look at me. Something you need to rebuke from your life is a lie the church has told and perpetrated because the devil got in. Oh, you know, I know people that are so spiritually minded they're no earthly good. That is the biggest lie of the devil. You are so carnally minded, you're no good for the kingdom and you're no good for the earth. If you are spiritually minded, you are of more use to everybody. You know what that's referring to? They use that expression to, to talk about people that get overboard in their emotions. You know, look, I'm Greek. For me, nobody can get overboard in their emotions. So I don't freak out when people get emotional. But if you're raised in a culture that isn't very emotional, you're going to have problems when people express themselves. But when somebody's been a cripple and they're now healed, you know, they don't just go, wow, that was really great, thanks. I'm going to walk away from here and go to the restaurant. Man, they start screaming. 
I don't care if you have a problem with that. You should ask God to forgive you for having a problem with them screaming because God just healed them. That's your problem, not God's, and it's not out of order. If the Spirit of God moves and people are reacting to it, don't freak out. you got to have off-ramps on your Jesus highway. Are you hearing me? Uh, is this making sense? I hope I'm helping you here. Okay? All right? So get this, okay? So they're understanding because he has to give them revelation. Look at what it says here. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, don't go anywhere until you receive this. How many of you have been born again and you've been going everywhere without receiving this? You're disobeying what Jesus said to do. And you know what? It really hurts when you hit this thing. It hurts. So anyway. <laughs> hey, is it great? I'm taking a stand for Jesus. Amen. Listen, okay. Um, <laughs> Going to be here all, all weekend long. No, here, all right. So the point is, guys, what word in verse 49, right? What word in verse 49 is is a word that correlates to where we started in Genesis. Look at verse 49. What word is the key word there where we started in Genesis when we talked in Genesis 3? Yeah, that's right, clothed. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? What did Jesus come to bring back? That's right, the Bible doesn't have contradictions. It ties itself together. It's incredible. All you ladies in this room, you were right telling your men that you need a new wardrobe. It's just that it's for free. Somebody shout amen. amen. The bottom line is God, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. That's why when you read, oh, this is good Bible study stuff. When you are in the word of God and you read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as Paul discusses this, he discusses to my peeps, the Greeks, he says to them, there was the first Adam, he failed, and the second Adam, which is Jesus, succeeded. The first Adam lost the clothes. The second Adam came and brought him back. Somebody shout amen. amen. Our Jesus is incredible. The second Adam succeeded. I mean, how good is this? Is this good stuff, yes or no? Right, it's good stuff. So he, you know, uh, so, uh, so he says, don't go anywhere until you're clothed with power from on high. Turn to the book of Acts, please, all right? While you're turning to the book of Acts, there is a cool text, uh, which I'm going to reference to you here, okay? Um, uh, a, a cool text in, in the, the Word of God. Uh, and you'll find it in, in uh, the Gospel of uh, John, uh, chapter 18, okay? Uh, and it's like, I think it what is it, verse 6 or whatever, but turn to the book of Acts. Just turn to the book of Acts, um, uh, chapter 1 in the book of Acts. But in John 18, I think it's verse 7, okay? Uh, you know, I have people tell me all the time, they say, where is, slain in the spirit is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Where people dropped under the power of God. And I'll look at people and say, don't you remember when Jesus, they were, took him away to crucify him? Actually, they took him away to bring him before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest. When they did that, they came to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they said in the Garden of Gethsemane, they looked at him and they said, they said to him, Jesus, you know, uh, where, you know he, Jesus came out to meet him and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And the Bible says they all fell to the ground. I, I remember saying that to a group of ministers, a group of pastors, and they're like, that's not in the Bible. I, I had them open up their Bible and read it. I think it's 18.7. And, and, 
they're all like, oh, wait a minute, it's probably the wrong translation. And every translation, I mean, isn't it stupid what people do? They all fell to the ground. Because I've had ministers tell me, I know people got slain in the spirit and they never changed. That's not the purpose of being slain in the spirit. When God, when somebody's slain in the spirit, maybe God's working on them. But that's not what that ultimately is about. When God is in the room, that's where you belong and that's where he belongs. On the throne and you on your face or on your back in his presence. That's God putting man exactly where they're at. Are you hearing me? It's about humility. It's about understanding. Uh-huh. God's in the house. And that's where you belong, man. Okay, now listen. The, if you read John in verse 20, Jesus, when he, was, when he was resurrected, before, he was raised from the dead, but he hadn't gone to the Father. He hadn't ascended to the Father yet. He walks into the room and he breathes on the disciples. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Almost every theologian says that's when they were born again. But they still had to wait in the city until they were clothed for poverty. They were born again, but not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just wanted to reference that to you. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's telling them like he tells you, you need to get this. So don't go anywhere until you get this. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone shout power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, he says, you're going to get this. Your job is not to figure out when the end is going to come. Your job is to make sure you're filled and that you are something. What? A witness. Do you notice it says you're going to receive power and you're going to become a witness? It didn't say you receive power and you shall go witnessing. There are people who go witnessing that are not very good witnesses. Their character doesn't match their message. Ooh. The Remember, I said this last night. We have tried to relegate the baptism in the Holy Spirit to an experience when he is a living power to transform a life. You can set yourself free from problems when you're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit by praying over yourself, by living a godly life. Like I said earlier, spiritual warfare. I had a guy once, I'm not kidding. This is one of those phone calls, you, you know, every pastor has had. A guy calls me and says, Dean, I need you to pray for me for the spirit of lust. It's all over me. I'm at this uh, adult bookstore and I got to just rebuke it over me. And I said, bro, I ain't rebuking nothing. You need to do some spiritual warfare. That's why I called you to do it with me. No, your spiritual warfare is leave the adult bookstore. That's your spiritual warfare. Hello. Anybody hearing me? You know, guys, do you understand how foolish we are? You know, God didn't deliver me because I'm still here in, the, in this adult bookstore. <laughs> yeah, God deliver you. Get your feet moving away from that place. Set yourself free. You want an insight? Do you want an insight? You know what you need? And what the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps you with? Praying in tongues. I'll tell you what, this is this a rat in your life. You don't fight fire with fire. What do you fight fire with? Water. You fight it with a hose. If your house is burning down, you don't want the fire trucks showing up with flamethrowers. Fight fire with fire. Good, I'm bringing a flamethrower to your house burning down. 
Good luck with that. How do you fight fire? With a hose. With water. Right? You pour the water of the Holy Spirit on the fire that's burning in your life. And the fire will go out. You got a temptation burning inside of you? You know what we need? An increased pain threshold. See, what happens is, when you're tempted, you have energy and you can't sleep. And aren't I right? But you can't pray because your mind doesn't think straight. Because you're under temptation. Am I right? Yes or no? Use the energy of the temptation to fuel your praying in tongues. Until the energy of the temptation goes away and you can go to sleep. That's pouring water on the fire of the temptation. When you're tempted with anger to beat somebody, you start praying in tongues. Start yelling in tongues. I don't care if it's loud in front of a whole group of people. You say, but they're going to think I'm nuts. Better for you to, them to think you're nuts than you'd have to go to prison and have an order of protection against you. Are you hearing me? I mean, but besides, even if they think you're crazy and they put you in the loony bin, they eat better in the loony bin than they do in the, in the prison. And don't ask me how I know that. But hear this, okay? In the name of Jesus, you know, if somebody, instead of like popping off with them and yelling like they were last night, two people are trying to kill themselves in the room next to me, okay? I mean, literally, trying, two guys trying to kill each other. I mean, instead of screaming and yelling, I'm yelling in tongues. It was over after that. It was great because they're like, I mean, it is so much fun. When silence ensues, when they hear somebody going, That's why security showed up at my door first and said, You okay? I said, Yeah, man, I'm just praying in tongues. Like, okay. <laughs> and he said, Bye. And the cops then came to the room next door and said, We don't want to interrupt the guy next to you. <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, I have, a, I have more fun stuff happen in my life in five minutes than most people should have in their lifetime. But hear this, right? I mean, when you start doing this, it takes away the, look, you know, you, when you're tempted, you know, you're tempted, like, essentially, uh, uh, get down on the ground. Till that, till that sexual temptation goes away. Amen? Amen? Man, you're tempted to smoke a cigarette. You know, man, you're going to smoke and you want it's destroying you. You know, that, 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 that cancer is destroying you. you know, every time you have an urge for a cigarette, the devil himself will help you get off of smoking because he doesn't want you having a good prayer life. You pour water on the fire that's burning in your life. Can somebody shout amen? amen. You're becoming something. Receive power and you will become. Is this making sense? Yeah. And everybody poo-poos the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is radical, supernatural, powerful, and of utmost importance for you. Jesus said, don't go anywhere without this. Don't leave home without it. Come on. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a, a, a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and it rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them then the utterance. Do you notice that? They all look like a bunch of big lighters. Amen? Yeah. Right? Like a bunch of birthday candles, right? Fire over them. But what happened? They began to speak in other tongues. As the, now, what makes that really important for you is it says they spoke, but the Holy Spirit gave the utterance. And this is really important. When you talk to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's an act of faith. Faith without works is dead. The work is speaking. Remember I said that. You need to understand. People say, well, I'm just making it up. No, you're not. You're not making it up. This language you're speaking is you speaking. People are like, well, you know, I'm not doing it because God's not doing it. No, no. 
It's not God making you talk. The devil possesses, God works with. The term supernatural. Super because God's involved, natural because people are. Amen? What's your part? Speak. What's God's part? The language. Amen? So when I, we should, it feels natural because it is. It's supernatural. So when, I, when, I, when you pray for somebody, you say, well, when I say speak, we're going to start speaking together in tongues because it's you speaking. I had a guy look at me and say, but it's me speaking in tongues. I said, who else would it be but you? If it's anybody else but you, we'll cast that out of you and get you to do it. <laughs> Amen? Is this making sense? Speak. So, you know, it's partnering with God. Shout amen. amen. It's partnering with God. So we're going to do this together. This is something that's vital for you to understand. Amen. Hopefully this is helping. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Write these texts down, okay? Acts chapter 8. Great chapter. I mentioned it, referenced it the other night. Um, uh, the church saw that an entire city, Samaria, was getting filled, but sent Peter and John to them anyway because they had only been baptized with water. They weren't baptized in the Spirit. The early church's priority was to make sure not just that revival was happening and signs, wonders, and miracles. Their priority was that people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit because if you're not getting filled, it's not going to last in your life because the, the work of God's going to evaporate. That shouldn't make sense now. Does that make sense? All right. That's radical important. Uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Peter was at Cornelius' house. Nice Italian boy. You know, they went for pasta. You know, they had to go to pasta and meatballs. And so he went over to his house because of a vision, a cool vision. You've got to read the story. It's great in Acts chapter 10. You know, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 10, he goes over there to his house. In the middle of his preaching, the Spirit of God falls. The Spirit of God falls down. And what happens? When the Spirit of God fell, they all started praying in other tongues. Amen? And they also start prophesying. How cool is that? So they start praying in tongues. If you read Acts 11... You will see the early church, because they, they got after Paul, I mean Peter. They got after Peter. Peter was in the house with Cornelius. He got after Peter, and they said, Peter, you went to our Gentiles' house. They got mad at him, because the early, all the early church was all Jews. Jews that had gotten born again, Messianic Jews. They, they got born again. They said, you shouldn't be in, our, in, our, in a, a, a Gentile's house. And Peter defended himself, said, but they received the Holy Spirit just like we did, because we heard him speaking in tongues. The early church viewed the ability to pray in tongues as being filled with the Holy Spirit. So when somebody says, hey, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I am. Oh, so you're praying in tongues? No. Well, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Dean, are you saying I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit because I don't pray in tongues? Yeah. I'm glad I got that across. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, God bless you. I know big churches that say otherwise. So what? I know big churches that say stupid stuff too, but the bottom line doesn't change what the Bible says. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is with the early church. The early church viewed the ability to pray in tongues as the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's how they related. Peter's defense of being in a Gentile's house was this. And when they heard that, they were like, oh, I guess God's saving them too. Because you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you're saved. And if you're saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to pray in tongues. And they saw that and they're like, that ended the argument. His defense was they're praying in tongues. And they're like, well, obviously God's received them too. It ended the discussion. Are you getting this? Is this helping anybody? Okay, before we take a break, Acts uh, 19, write that down. And that's a really important text. Paul, who's the one who wrote Ephesians and is now in Ephesus, Paul comes to Ephesus, finds a group of believers, and in, in Acts 19, 2, he says this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And why would he ask that? If, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. 
That doesn't make sense. That's foolish because he's the one who wrote Ephesians, the very book evangelicals tell us, well, I mean, you have the Holy Spirit. You have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get when you get saved. Why would Paul ask the question? And they come up with all these gyrations that make no sense. It's foolishness. The bottom line is, that's the question you should ask everybody. Ask them, are you born again? You are. Praise God. You're my brother and sister in Christ. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you baptized in the Holy Spirit? That should be your next question. Why aren't you asking that? Why aren't you asking it? You should be. Because people need this. They don't need this evaporated walk with God. Now, before we take our break, one last thought. Okay, we're just going to take a five-minute break here. One last thought, okay? Uh, isn't it true that there are a bunch of people who call themselves Christians who are not really living a life that shows that they are? Am I right, yes or no? A casual reference, if you look at their life, doesn't show a person who's in love with Jesus. You say, Dean, that's hard. Well, let me just quote the words of Jesus to you. When Jesus says, why do you say you love me when you don't obey my commands? He's saying, you don't love me because you don't obey what I say. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. Don't talk to me. Talk to the book. Because when you read this book, it's like Jesus is looking at you right in the face and talking to you. Don't talk to me. Talk to the book. Not my hand. The book. Okay? He says, do this. You say, you're not doing it. Don't yell at me. I'm just, I'm just a messenger telling you what he says. Well, I don't read it that way. <laughs> you don't read it at all. And those churches that are built on your offerings because they're telling you you can live any way you want to and still make it to heaven, they're banking on the fact you don't read this. Jesus, does, Jesus didn't send anybody to hell. Hell's a modern con uh, convention. No, it's not. His first message is repent and believe. And he says, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to, better to have one arm and go to heaven than go to hell. That's what Jesus said. And they're telling you, no, it's not in the Bible. It's there. They know you're biblically illiterate. You don't read. And some of you don't want to read because you're, you're, you're like, if I don't read, God's not going to hold me accountable. Yes, he does. Do you know he's holding people accountable who haven't even heard the name of Jesus? You think people are dying and going to hell because they haven't heard of Christ? No. They're dying and going to hell because they've sinned. The antidote to send them to heaven is Jesus. We've got to get them the cure. But they're not going because they haven't heard. They're going because they've sinned. Now listen to me. There are people who are trying to make it into heaven without serving God the right way. That's why we need this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? That's why we ask them, are you saved? Yes, good, good, praise God. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I don't want what Jesus did in them when he saved them to evaporate. And a lot of people are on fumes right now. They're so empty and so dirty, and they're like, look, I got saved, and things were going good for a while, and now I messed up again. Now I got all the same bad stuff in my life. And you're like, how did that happen? Because you didn't get filled. Or if you did, you stopped utilizing this precious gift that God gave you and the water. You got yourself out from underneath the faucet and you turned off the water faucet and now there's no longer a flow and you're living on the fumes of what was in you. How could you ever go dry in your prayer life if the source of the river is inside of you? Amen? Everybody stand up. Come on, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up, stretch out. Hey, listen, five-minute break. We're going to come back, all right? Five-minute break. Go potty, go get some water, go whatever.